Hello everyone, I'm Rob, a producer on the Black Country Talking News. I hope you're enjoying the good weather and keeping cool. This week's edition is for the 13th of July, 2022. Hello and welcome to the Black Country Talking News, brought to you by the sight loss charity Beacon Centre. We're pleased to confirm that the Talking News is now available via Alexa. Once you've enabled the Talking Newspapers skill, all you need to do is play Talking Newspapers and ask for the Black Country Talking News. Our Talking News service is also available via the free Wireless for the Blind app. It can be found on the Beacon Centre website www.beaconvision.org forward slash talking news. As a podcast via services such as Apple or Spotify or as a free CD, simply contact Beacon Centre on 01902 880 we hope you enjoy this week's edition. Thank you, Christine. Speaking of us this week, we have myself, Rob, Helen, Mina, Angela, Ed, Christine, Ian, Anne, Mark, Diana, David, and of course, Flashback Roger. In this week's edition, we have an update from Beacon, some local news in the Black Country, we have the weekly quiz with Mina, news from Wolves and West Bromwich Albion, a Did You Know section from Flashback Roger, the weather, Information about assistance available to help those struggling just the cost of living crisis. A 10 today workout. An article about Black Country Day. And rounding us off with a feature on VI Archery. However, we start this week, of course, with our guest the sound question. I'm going to play a sound clip, and all you've got to do is guess what it is. So, here it is. Here's this week's clip. Have a think on that and Mina will reveal the answer later, alongside the usual quiz answers. We have now then, as always, some local news. But just by Ian, Angela, Ed, Christine, and first up, we hear Liz. West Midlands Mayor Andy Street wants to see a new Prime Minister from the middle ground of the Conservative Party, who will fulfil commitments around levelling up for the region. We need someone now to unite the party and the country after this very divisive time, he stressed. Mr Street, speaking in Wolverhampton after the launch of the West Midlands Combined Authority's new plan for growth, said that Boris Johnson's impact on the West Midlands had been mixed. He has done some really important things for the West Midlands. He is the man who drove through HS2 and made levelling up the language. But the last few weeks have been divisive and an uncertain time for the region, he said. It is most important that the new Prime Minister puts extra purpose into the levelling up commitment. We were just at that point with the previous government of seeing real meat. Now we want to get that. Mr Street said the new government had to deliver on providing funding for inward investment brownfield redevelopment and transport infrastructure. Margot James, former Stourbridge Conservative MP and Minister for Digital, Culture, Media and Sport and now Executive Chairman of Warwick Manufacturing Group, was also at the Wolverhampton event. She said the new leader needed to be a break from the past and said she had been impressed by Sajid Javid 
and Rishi Sunak's early resignations from the Cabinet. I've always held them in high regard and my respect for them both has increased. I supported Jeremy Hunt in the last leadership election and my regard for him is absolute, she said. She said Boris Johnson's decision to go was absolutely right. The country and the party can now move forward in a more constructive direction. We need to deliver a new leader of the party through the proper rules and procedures as quickly as they allow. Councils in the black country are teaming up with police to apply for a new High Court injunction to ban street racing in the region. Wolverhampton, Dudley, Sandwell and Walsall councils, working in partnership with West Midlands Police, will return to the High Court later this year to seek a ban on car cruising across the four boroughs. If granted, the injunction would forbid people from participating in, attending, promoting, organising or publicising a street racing event. Anyone ignoring the injunction could be arrested, face penalties such as up to two years imprisonment or an unlimited fine, or have their assets seized. The councils are expecting to issue proceedings in a few weeks' time, with a court date likely to be later this summer or early autumn. For the purposes of the application, street racing is defined as the act of drivers of cars, motorbikes or quad bikes meeting to race or show off in their vehicles. A similar injunction had previously been in force in the black country for a period of six years and had helped dramatically reduce instances of street racing across the region in that time. The new application is once again being led by Wolverhampton Council on behalf of the four black country local authorities and West Midlands Police. People are invited to submit comments and observations regarding street racing and the application for a new injunction by emailing litigation at wolverhampton.gov.uk. Comments received may be presented as evidence to the High Court. Campaigners have called on communities to support their local pubs, as dozens have closed across the region since the start of the pandemic. The West Midlands has been particularly badly affected, with 111 closures since March 2020, including 34 in the Black Country and Staffordshire. And in the last six months, the West Midlands has seen the biggest drop in the country, with 28 pubs closed between the end of 2021 and the end of June. New data from real estate advisors Altus Group shows a dozen pubs have closed in Sandwell since March 2020. Walsall has seen half a dozen close, Dudley has lost nine, Wolverhampton and Stafford both three and Cannock one, with the number remaining the same in South Staffordshire. Campaigners say pubs are now dealing with other pressures such as the rising costs of energy and goods, which may force more to close their doors and have called on people to offer their support. Aidan Hale, 53, who is a volunteer for the Wolverhampton Campaign for Real Ale Group and has more than two decades of experience working behind a bar in Sedgley, said, In many cases, trade hasn't recovered to what it was before the pandemic. People have got used to drinking at home. Pubs are also facing pressures with high energy bills and transport costs going up. This is the most difficult period the licensed trade has ever had. You have people struggling and working long hours, and they are struggling to make a profit. A spokesman for the Department for Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy said the government was supporting pubs across the UK with 50% business rates relief 
freezing alcohol duty rates on beer, cider, wine and spirits, and increasing the employment allowance. This is in addition to the billions in grants and loans offered throughout the pandemic. Weary Wolverhampton councillors have demanded tighter time control at full council after a recent run of marathon meetings saw them still debating at 3am, more than six hours after kick-off. Wolverhampton Council members from both parties spoke out at this week's Governments and Ethics Committee after spending a gruelling six-and-a-half-hour session setting the annual budget in March. A further fatiguing forum followed in April, which also went deep into the small hours, meaning not one of the city's 60 councillors saw their beds until well after 3am. Leader of the Conservative Opposition, Councillor Wendy Thompson, said... Frankly, I think it has just been ridiculous that we've been finishing at two o'clock in the morning on occasion. This shows an incompetent council that is not getting through its business in the proper manner when a lot of people have to get into work the next morning. The budget meeting was basically an outrage, with people getting home at three o'clock in the morning and then some people having to get up to start work again at six. It's absolutely outrageous. I'm going to say quite publicly now that this Conservative group will not accept any more of this crazy timing of going on until the early hours of the next day. It is totally and utterly unacceptable. It's alarming that this trend appears to have come in and it needs stopping. We're not going to go down that route anymore and that's all there is to it, she added. The length of time means we're also going to have people going in and out of meetings like Piccadilly Circus. And no matter how tempting this may be, as some of the items are very boring, it is still unacceptable. Labour's councillor Paul Birch replied, In truth, no one wants to be here until three o'clock in the morning. So I think we're all in agreement on that, not just the opposition. It is a non-contest in that sense. All members agreed that the amendments to the Constitution being discussed should be approved. An NHS trust is reintroducing face masks at its hospitals due to rising infection rates. The Royal Wolverhampton NHS Trust, which runs New Cross Hospital and Cannock Chase Hospital, said on social media that it is taking the measure to keep everyone as safe as possible. In a statement on Twitter, the trust said... Due to a rise in COVID-19 cases within the community, our hospitals and amongst staff from Monday the 11th of July, we are reintroducing face masks in all areas of the hospital. To keep everyone as safe as possible, we request that patients and visitors wear a mask if they are able to. Up next, we hear from Helen, who of course has for us the Beacon Update. Alright Bab, it's time for your Boston Beacon Update. Well, if you haven't guessed, we're celebrating all things Black Country this week because Black Country Day is on June the 14th. If you'd like to celebrate, we've got some Boston Black Country gifts. Yeah, I'm gonna love. Our mug is perfect for a cup of tea. Not very good at a Black Country accent, am I? On one side, it reads Boston Black Country Brew with a picture of a Black Country flag on it. And on the other side, it reads in black writing, time to have a nice cup of tea. Now, you can go and get yours just in time for Black Country Day from our Fab Lab. Shop now online at www.etsy.com forward slash shop forward slash made by Fab Lab. And while we're on the subject of our Fab Lab, 
entertainment is fast approaching. And if you or someone you know needs a gift to say thank you to a special teacher, then shop our Fab Lab teacher gift range. With prices from £2, we've got something for every budget. And what's more, by shopping with us, you'll be helping to support someone with sight loss as profits support our work. Shop now, www.etsy.com forward slash shop forward slash made by Fab Lab. Now, talking on our Fab Lab, lastly this week on that, the 5344 Transport and General Union Benevolent Fund Charity, ex Goodyear Workers, has recently funded two new items of equipment in Beacon's Fab Lab with a donation of more than £8,000. The Fab Lab creates gifts and products, as you know, to support Beacon Centre's work while giving people impacted by sight loss the chance to learn new digital manufacturing skills and improve their confidence. The new equipment, an embroidery machine and a resin 3D printer, will enable a charity to expand its product lines while teaching people new skills. Beacon staff were able to demonstrate how the equipment works during a recent visit to a charity by representatives of a fund, including Chairman Cyril Barrett, Trustee Roy Dudley and Management Committee member Paul Buff. The Fab Lab space has also been renamed the 5344 Suite in honour of the fund, which has donated a total of £105,000 to Beacon over the past seven years, supporting projects designed to improve the lives of visually impaired people in the community. Lastly this week, if you fancy coffee and catch-up, don't forget we've got our Sedgley Coffee Morning coming up soon. Join us on Friday, July the 15th at 10am for a chance to meet new friends and find out more about what we do at Beacon. If you can't make it, we've also got another coffee morning in Starbridge on July the 22nd. It costs £5 to attend and we'd love for you to join us. To book your place, call 01902 880 or email inquiries at beaconvision.org. That's it for this week. Hopefully, I'll be back to speak to you all again soon. Bye-bye. Thank you very much for that Boston update, Helen. Up now, it's another block of local news. And starting this one off, it's Christine. Three black country MPs who stayed loyal to Boris Johnson have been given government roles. Wolverhampton South West MP Stuart Anderson and Stourbridge MP Suzanne Webb will serve as assistant whips, Downing Street has announced. Halsarin and Rowley Regis MP James Morris has been appointed as a minister in the Department for Health. Meanwhile, West Bromwich West MP Sean Bailey, who announced he had withdrawn his support for Mr Johnson on Wednesday, has been appointed as a parliamentary private secretary in the Cabinet Office. His remit will be to support Jacob Rees-Mogg on Brexit opportunities. Following his resignation on Thursday, Mr Johnson has pieced together a new cabinet that will stay in place until a new Tory leader is elected. Mr Anderson, who is taking up his first government position, said, I am honoured and humbled to be appointed as Assistant Whip to serve in Her Majesty's Government. I look forward to working with my new colleagues in the role. Ms Webb, who moves over from the Ministry of Defence, where she served as PPS to Ben Wallace, said, I am absolutely thrilled to be appointed as an assistant government whip and serve the government in this way. It is a great opportunity to be part of the legislative programme going forward. 
She said it was an honour and a privilege to have served at the MOD and added, I will very much miss being part of such a fantastic team, a team that has kept this country safe from Putin and led from the front with integrity. My focus, as always, will of course also remain firmly on Stourbridge, ensuring it receives the investment it deserves. I look forward to the autumn when we hear if our levelling up bid has been successful. The impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on the West Midlands economy was revealed as a fresh plan to reignite the regional economy was unveiled in Wolverhampton. The West Midlands Combined Authority's plan for growth aims to bridge a 3.9 billion gap in the economy by 2030 and restore the region to its pre-pandemic position as the fastest growing English region outside London. It would deliver 45,000 new high-value jobs. West Midlands Mayor Andy Street told an audience at the Lighthouse Cinema that the region had experienced a very tough time and suffered a 25% drop in manufacturing in the two years of the pandemic, the worst in England. Exports had also fallen by the biggest percentage nationally in the area. The West Midlands economy shrank by 11% in 2020, due in part to its large automotive sector and high number of exporting companies. And despite having the highest level of foreign direct investment outside London and a strong track record in getting people back into work, the regional economy was still 8% smaller at the end of last year than at the onset of covid The figures are in stark contrast to the decade up to 2019, when the West Midlands was the fastest growing region outside London, breaking through the 100 billion economic output mark. Mr Street said, No one in 2019 was expecting this situation to come. He warned the region now faced further problems, such as inflation and rising energy prices, because of a high concentration of energy-intensive businesses, particularly in the black country. The recovery needed to build on the region's key strengths, including sectors that were performing better than the national picture, including construction and logistics. There were also opportunities in low-carbon manufacturing and green technology. There were differing views about the news of the resignation of the Prime Minister at a pub he once famously visited. The Lichgate Tavern in Wolverhampton received a visit from Boris Johnson in November 2019, when the Prime Minister was in the city for an Armistice Day ceremony, a visit which saw him pull pints and chat with patrons at the pub. Now, the day after Mr Johnson announced he was resigning as leader of the Conservative Party, those people enjoying a lunchtime pint at the pub were split on their reactions to his impending departure. John Smith from Bushbury said he liked Boris Johnson and was sad to see him go, but felt it might have been the right time as a Conservative voter. He said, I think he did a lot in his short period in office, and he's a popular guy, but at the end, I think he started to lose the plot a bit. He lied, and he shouldn't have lied. But I think all politicians do at the end of the day, and I still think he has a future in politics, as he's a popular man and a good politician. Graham Lilly from Merry Hill said he was a lifelong member of the Conservative Party, and had his photo taken with the Prime Minister on that day in 2019, and said he was very disappointed to see him go. 
He said, my wife and I were very disappointed to find out the news, and I think that he has done a lot and done his best to keep the promises he made. Everyone makes mistakes, but he's been trying really hard and is doing this with a young family and not dedicating as much time as he would like to them as he's been looking after everyone else. However, Michael Barker from Goldthorn Hill said he couldn't be more pleased to see Mr Johnson go with the Labour supporter saying he didn't believe the Prime Minister deserved the role. He said, if you look at the nature of his life, it's about lies and mistruths and whenever anything happens, he always disappears. And he's the sort of person who sees a crowd, runs to the front and says, follow me. The next person who leads this country needs to be someone with sincerity and someone who doesn't lie to you and is always honest with you. Angry staff at the University of Wolverhampton, threatened with redundancy, have described this institution as the P&O of universities, as hundreds of jobs were put at risk by bosses. Education bosses announced on Wednesday that as many as 250 jobs could be axed as part of a move to help tackle a £20 million deficit and ensure the future of the site. The sum includes almost 100 staff members set to leave through the mutually agreed resignation scheme. It has led to the university being described as the P&O of universities in reference to P&O ferries, which sacked 800 staff in March via video link without notice. But university chiefs said the reason a virtual briefing was held was because of the size and dispersed nature of staff, and talks were now underway with the two unions. Dr Catherine Lamond, chair of the UCU negotiating committee at the university, said people are very upset and angry about how this has unfolded. The interim vice-chancellor, Professor Ian Campbell, called in all the staff for a virtual meeting on Wednesday. He read off a pre-prepared script. It lasted 13 minutes overall and people didn't get the chance to ask questions. People said it was like the P&O of universities where he got fired by a video link. It felt disrespectful to them. It's like they're not allowed to challenge or ask questions about it. We're going to start getting more information shortly, but we know it's going to be awful. We think it's going to end up being a competition where people have to face off against their colleagues, which is awful. A spokeswoman at the University of Wolverhampton said, On July the 6th, our Vice-Chancellor announced proposals to reduce the number of staff the university employs, which could impact up to 250 university roles, including almost 100 colleagues whom we anticipate leaving through our mutually agreed resignation scheme. Due to the size and dispersed nature of our staff base, the announcement was made at an all-colleague virtual briefing. Colleagues who are potentially impacted by these proposals have now been notified and subsequently attended a further meeting to discuss how local proposals might affect them. A £250,000 scheme to restore Briley Hill's historic war memorial is expected to be completed this week. The project to restore the monument in Church Hill started in August last year. The first phase saw the Grade 2 listed soldier sitting atop the memorial repaired and enhanced, walls and railings repaired and new architectural lighting installed. The majority of the works for this phase were completed in time for the centenary of the War Memorial in November 2021. In the second phase, which started in January this year, 
Contractors worked on laying a pavement of natural stone on the terrace around the war memorial and undertaking a programme of hard and soft landscaping works within the memorial gardens itself. The work included significant stabilisation works to the embankment and to the intermediate wall that runs through its centre. The work is part of a wider regeneration programme for the town through the £1.8 million Briley Hill High Street Heritage Action Zone, a government-funded grant programme administered by Historic England. Councillor Harley said, I've visited this site a few times now and it's fantastic to see the improvements that have been made. The War Memorial sits on a key gateway into Briley Hill and now, fully restored, will ensure the memories of those heroic soldiers listed on it will live on to inspire and educate future generations. It is one of a number of positive developments in the pipeline for Briley Hill and it's great that the works will be completed in time for the Queen's Baton Relay on July 24th when it comes through Briley Hill. As a council, we are committed to improving the town and we are working closely with the very active community forum to drive forward real change and improve the lives of people who live and work here. Now it's time to test your knowledge as we have the quiz questions for this edition and they're brought to us by Mina. Hello and welcome to this week's library-themed flashback quiz. All the answers you need can be found later in Flashback Rogers' Did You Know feature. But for now, here are your questions. Are you ready? Question 1. How many public libraries are there currently in the UK? Question 2. How many items does the British Library have? Question 3. What age is the oldest item in the British Library? Question 4. How long is the shelving that hold all the items there? Question 5. What was the date of the Act of Parliament that helped create our libraries? And finally, question 6. What was the name given to the first mobile library? As always, I'll be back to reveal the answers later in the show. But for now, good luck. Thank you very much for those bookish questions, Mina. I'll have a think on those. Up now, it's another block of local news. And starting us off, we first see Angela. Property owners on an estate where 93 prefabs are to be demolished are concerned they will be living in a builder's yard. A multi-million pound programme by Wolverhampton Council aims to replace its outdated housing stock with work set to get underway in the coming months. The prefabs, which were built at the end of the Second World War, will be knocked down and replaced with modern, affordable and energy-efficient bungalows on the Lincoln Green Estate in the Northwood Park area of Bushbury. Not all of the homes on the estate are council-owned, however, with many residents being private owners who intend to stay put. Rose Davies, 79, has lived in hers for 27 years and while she is concerned ahead of work starting, she supports the plans as a whole. She said, I know it's a bad upheaval and a lot of people who live here are old, but it's for the future. 
In the 27 years I've been here, it's always looked nice, but I can see how things have come down since I moved in. I have a lot come to me and ask whether we're going to be compensated for what we're going to have to put up with, because it will be like being in a builder's yard, let's face it. I would not accept money to move. This is in a locked trust for my granddaughter. Mine will be stopping here. There isn't a choice to me. Councillor Bupinda Kakal, Cabinet Member for City Assets and Housing at Wolverhampton Council, said, With the current rising cost of energy, it's important we also improve the energy efficiency of any poorly performing council-owned housing. We understand change like this may cause concern for some of our residents, but I would like to reassure them that their health and well-being will remain our top priority. The programme is being managed on behalf of the council by Wolverhampton Homes. There has been a spike in cruelty to animals during the summer, according to new figures. The RSPCA has said that calls to its cruelty line, which usually hits around 90,000 each month, has risen to 134,000 a month, around three every minute. The charity has launched its Council Out Cruelty campaign to raise funds to help its rescue teams out on the front line, continue to save animals from cruelty and abuse and to raise awareness about how to stop cruelty to animals for good. Overall, the number of reports made to the charity's cruelty line about animals being inflicted with intentional harm has increased by 7.9% from summer 2020 to summer 2021, with more than 2,300 reports in June and July alone. In the West Midlands, there were 537 reports of intentional harm against animals made to the RSPCA last year, placing the West Midlands in the top five for incidents. Dermot Murphy, Chief Inspectorate Officer at the RSPCA, said... We are a nation of animal lovers and no one wants to think of an animal being cruelly treated. But sadly, the reality is that every day animals are victims of deliberate cruelty. There are many factors which could explain why we see a rise in cruelty in the summer months. The longer sunny days could mean people are out and about more and likely to see and report abuse. Perhaps there is boredom or pressures at home with children being off school, which can make existing difficulties magnified. And this year, we are also concerned that the recent rise in pet ownership, coupled with the cost of living crisis, could see people really struggling to care for their pets, which may lead them to lash out or could see more animals than ever being abandoned or given up. Stourbridge MP Suzanne Webb has thrown her support behind a £500,000 fundraising bid to transform the town's St Thomas Church and bring it into the 21st century. She visited the town centre church's flower show at the weekend and met with Reverend Andrew Sillis to discuss the plans for the 18th century Grade 1 listed building. The show raised funds for an appeal for the church called Project 300. Plans include removing pews to open up space for different types of worship and community events. A dedicated hospitality area has been looked at, as well as new lighting and flooring. Mrs Webb said, I'm a big supporter of these plans to remove the pews that are not of historical value, make the church carbon neutral and importantly, open up the space so the whole community can use the church for a variety of events. 
St Thomas's is a, lo- a focal point in the constituency as it is so central, and I think breathing new life into its facilities will be a huge asset to the local community. The appeal has already raised a third of the money, but fundraising continues. An events company's plan to stage a one-day live music festival in a Wolverhampton park has met with protests from nearby residents. Warsaw-based New Vision Events Limited has applied to the City Council for a short-term premises licence to hold the event, which will also include the sale of alcohol in Bantock Park on Saturday, September 3rd. In its application, the company said the festival would run between midday and 10pm and approximately 3,500 people would be in attendance. However, the move has sparked the fears of residents living near the popular Finchfield Road Park, who claim it will cause noise, nuisance, littering and antisocial behaviour. Council bosses initially began the hearing on Thursday, but it was later adjourned until next month for licensing documents to be updated. A number of people and public bodies had already contacted the licensing committee to air their concerns. One resident, who opted to remain anonymous, wrote, I wish to strongly object to an alcohol licence being issued for sales within Bantop Park and make representations that I feel are relevant and relate to the licensing objectives. There are already problems with antisocial behaviour, consumption of alcohol and drugs being used in the park, and police attendance is a regular occurrence. I believe that the sale of alcohol from bars within the park will only lead to this being exacerbated. Also, there is insufficient parking in the surrounding area to support a large event. Already, during busy periods in the park, vehicles are parked half on the pavements, making it difficult and unsafe for pedestrians, particularly people with wheelchairs, prams and pushchairs. Also, with bars serving alcohol for 10 hours, it's inevitable that some people will get into vehicles and drive when they are over the limit, which is, of course, a danger to the public both inside and outside of the park. The Licensing Committee will make a decision on the application on July the 19th. Plans to build a new housing estate on industrial land in Dudley have hit a stumbling block over noise concerns. Council chiefs last year signed off on a scheme for 93 homes at the old Marriott Road industrial estate in Netherton, subject to a series of conditions being met. However, the authorities' planning committee has now been advised to reject the £16 million scheme next to Dudley Canal. A statement from Dudley Council's Environmental Safety and Health team said the layout does not provide the required level of noise protection for future residents and on this basis the application is recommended for refusal. The 5.7 acre site was bought by property investment firm Seven Capital in May 2021. Planning permission was granted subject to conditions relating to issues including ground contamination, drainage and noise concerns. It was lined up for a mixture of two, three and four bedroom homes plus a three-storey flat and a four-storey flat near the entrance to the site. A design and access statement submitted on behalf of Barrett Homes says... Within the context of Dudley and Netherton, the proposed housing development will respect the local character whilst also contributing towards bringing a more sustainable future to the town. 
The practices used within this design were derived from the concept of enriching the local suburban area and providing an increase in variety green spaces that are sympathetic to the environment. The primary aim is to achieve a high quality development that can integrate well and work positively with the existing area. The site was put forward for development as part of the Black Country Plan, which outlined sites for thousands of homes to meet the region's housing needs up to 2039. Up now, we have information on grants and benefits to help you cope with the rising cost of living, put together by the Thomas Pocklington Trust. DNF Soundings. Features from across the UK. Hello, this is Anne with an item about cost of living implications from the website Thomas Pocklington Trust. What does cost of living support mean for blind and partially sighted people? On 26th May this year, the Chancellor announced that millions of households across the UK will benefit from a new £15 billion package of targeted government support to help with the rising cost of living. Here are some details and key changes that will be of interest to blind and partially sighted people. All households will get £400 of support with their energy bills through an expansion of the Energy Bill Support Scheme. Instead of the planned £200 off bills, which had to be repaid through higher bills over five years, this will now be a £400 payment, which will now be made as a grant. Energy suppliers will deliver this support to households with a domestic electricity meter over six months from October. Direct debit and credit customers will have the money credited to their account, while customers with prepayment meters will have the money applied to their meter or paid via a voucher. More than 8 million households on means-tested benefits will receive a payment of £650 this year, made in two instalments. This includes all households receiving the following benefits. Universal credit. Income-based job seekers allowance. Income-related employment and support allowance. Income support. Working tax credit. Child tax credit. Pension credit. The Department for Work and Pensions will make the payment in two lump sums, the first from July, the second in the autumn. Payments from HMRC for those on tax credits will only follow shortly after each to avoid duplicate payments. Claimants will need to be in receipt of one of these benefits or have begun a claim which is later successful as of 25th May 2022 to be eligible for the first of the two instalments. Pensioner households will receive an extra £300 this year to help them cover the rising cost of energy this winter. His additional one-off payment will go to the over 8 million pensioner households across the UK who receive the winter fuel payment and will be paid on top of any other one-off support a pensioner household is entitled to. For example, where they are on pension credit or receive disability benefits. All pensioner households will get the one-off pensioner cost of living payment as a top-up to their annual winter fuel payment in November or December.
For most pensioner households, this will be paid by direct debit. Around 6 million people across the UK who receive the following disability benefits will receive a one-off payment of £150 in September. Disability living allowance, personal independence payment, attendance allowance, Scottish disability benefits, armed forces independence payment, constant attendance allowance, war pension mobility supplement. For the many disability benefit recipients who receive means-tested benefits, this £150 will come on top of any other payments they may be eligible for listed above. All these payments will be tax-free and exempt from the benefits cap. Earlier in the year, the government also announced £150 council tax rebate for households in England and council tax bans A to D. This is handled by local councils and millions of households have already received this payment. In addition, the government has provided funding to local councils to deliver a household support fund. This is administered by local councils in England and further information is available directly from your local council on any hardship support that may be available. If you are struggling with the cost of living, then the best first port of call is Citizens Advice, who can help you to find what support you might be eligible for and help you to apply for it if needed. DNF Soundings. Cheers for that, Anne. Up now, we have a final block of local news. A retired ambulance driver has said his quality of life has improved after taking part in an exercise programme. Patrick Balfour has taken part in an eight-week exercise programme run by the Royal Wolverhampton NHS Trust at the Bilston People's Centre. The programme has been designed to help those suffering from chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. Patrick from Bilston has regular checkups with the nurse, including breathing tests, and he was told in January he may benefit from joining the group. The 75-year-old said it has been a mixture of one-to-one and group sessions. Some of the exercises included walking on the spot, stepping from side to side, weights and leg lifts. They help you to manage your breathing and I have noticed a big difference as I used to need to use an inhaler even when walking up the stairs but now I don't and I am not as breathless. It has really made a change and not only is it having a benefit on my physical health but mentally too as I really enjoy the sessions and the staff have been amazing. I would recommend it to anyone. Chronic obstructive pulmonary disease is the name for a group of lung conditions that cause breathing difficulties which tend to get gradually worse over time and can limit normal activities. James Fryer, exercise physiologist from the Pulmonary Rehabilitation Team at the Royal Wolverhampton NHS Trust, who has been monitoring Patrick's progress over the last eight weeks, said Patrick has been an absolute pleasure to work with. He has turned up to every exercise session and has put in so much effort and has rightly reaped the rewards. He deserves every success he has achieved due to his hard work and consistency. Dudley Museum at the Archives is running fossil ID sessions once again. 
People can bring along up to five fossils for identification. It's a chance to discover more about your finds and learn a little more about the geology, both local and international. The next session is on Saturday from 11am to 3pm. Councillor Simon Phipps, Cabinet Member for Regeneration and Enterprise, said the fossil ID sessions were always popular, but we had to put them on hold during COVID. We're really glad we're able to run them again. It's a great chance to learn more about the rocks and fossils in your, your possession. Whether you pick them up on holiday or discovered them on your doorstep at Wren's Nest Nature Reserve, it's always interesting to find out more with our resident experts. Places should be booked on Eventbrite via the Dudley Museum Facebook page. Dudley Museum of the Archives is open every Thursday, Friday and Saturday from 10am to 4pm. Parking and entry is free. Tetton Hall Operatic Company is excited to present their first major production since the pandemic, Offenbach's famous operetta, Orpheus in the Underworld. Over the years, the group has been the recipient of a number of awards from the National Operatic Dramatic Association. In early July, they were awarded a special award in recognition of an innovative bursary scheme designed to encourage and develop the vocal capabilities and performance of people between the ages of 16 and 30. Christina Clifton is the recipient of this year's bursary and is playing the part of Cupid in the show. A graduate of Solent University with a degree in musical theatre, Christina has found her role in Orpheus in the Underworld a welcome challenge, unlike anything she has done before, but thoroughly enjoyable. Christina sings in the church choir at St Thomas of Canterbury in Tettenhall and is currently in rehearsals for the opening ceremony of the Commonwealth Games. This is a semi-staged production with the entire company on stage for the duration of the performance and the principal dialogue and numbers all fully staged. The chorus is also involved in some choreographed movement. A video screen will be used for images and special effects. Orpheus can be described as an irreverent romp through some of the famous story of Orpheus in Homerian mythology. Audiences can expect to see a lineup of very strong principles and a company that produces a great sound. Catch Orpheus in the Underworld at Cods Hall Village Hall on July 14 to 16th with performances at 7:30 p.m. nightly and a 2:30 p.m. matinee. Singing weatherman Des Coleman will be among the performers at this year's Black Country Multicultural Day celebrations. The event is being held in Marketplace Dudley on July the 16th to show how diverse the population has become in recent decades with a significant rise of different ethnic groups who have moved into the borough. Performers include Tribute Act, The Rat Pack, featuring Mr Coleman of ITV Central News. There's dance workshops, stilt walkers, Indian, Caribbean and Polish food, information stalls, top church choir, Romanian dancers, Cree Heart Community Group, Poppies Birmingham, Jesson School Choir, Darcel Wright Harvey and Bangra Smashup. Guests will include Mayor of Dudley Sue Greenaway, West Midlands Police and Crime Commissioner Simon Foster and other civic dignitaries. 
The programme includes a Bangra dance workshop in Churchill Shopping Centre from 12.30pm to 3.30pm, where the public can learn some Bangra moves. Dudley's Hindu Cultural Association will also perform classic Indian dance, while Cradley Heath's Back to Basics will provide face painting. The show was launched as part of Black Country Day. Dudley resident Frankie Prazer set up the 2021 event after spotting that there was a lack of events celebrating diversity in the town. This event will kindle civic pride and confidence and has the potential to improve the economic, environmental and social well-being of borough residents. I would like to demonstrate how the Black Country's vibrant, colourful past, present and future and with the different backgrounds that have settled over the years, have made the area as vibrant as it is today. Black Country Multicultural Day will run from 11am to 4.30pm on July the 16th. A group of Wolverhampton schools have been selected to compete in the regional finals of a quad captor challenge. Our Lady and St Chad's Catholic Academy, Aldersley High School and Morton School will take part in the Raytheon Technologies Quadcopter Challenge. With 92 teams, 41 schools and air cadet groups and over 500 students involved, the challenge will now progress to its regional finals. Now in its eighth year, the Raytheon Technologies Quadcopter Challenge encourages students to put sustainability at the forefront of their minds as they look to create quadcopters reflective of arising sustainability challenges. Following a successful pitch to a team of local industry experts, students from the schools will be tasked with building and flying their quadcopters for a chance to compete at the regional finals. Guided by Raytheon Technologies STEM ambassadors, students from across England, Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland are asked to use their science and maths skills to design a four-bladed, remotely piloted air system known as a quadcopter. This year's theme will encourage students to build a business case during the initial design phase that describes how they are reducing the amount of material used in the initial design, how they've taken into consideration the supply chain implications to choose conscious suppliers, and how materials could be used for future quadcopter developments and iterations. The aim of the quadcopter challenge is to excite and re-engage young people in learning by giving them the opportunity to test and apply their skills to activities outside of their usual curriculum, said Alex Rose Parfit, Engineering Director, Raytheon UK. There is no denying that we all need to do our bit to save the planet, and that's why this year's theme, Sustainability, is so important to get the next generation to think about the most sustainable practices moving forward. Up now, it's trivia time, brought to us by Flashback Roger and his Did You Know feature. Hello again everyone, I hope that this finds you well this week. Now I don't get out so much these days, but I do enjoy reading and whatnot, and it got me thinking about libraries. Now, did you know that? There are 4,100 public libraries with 64 million members. That's nearly every person in the UK have got a ticket. The British Library is the National Library and is one of the largest libraries in the world. 
It's estimated to contain between 170 and 200 million items from many countries. The library's collections include around 14 million books, along with substantial holdings of manuscripts and items dating back as far as the 2000 BC. The library maintains a program for content acquisition and adds some 3 million items each year, occupying 9.6 kilometres, that's 6 miles of new shelving space. The British Library is the only one that must automatically receive a copy of every item published in Britain. And public libraries really began after the Public Libraries Act of 1850, but the peak of library building was between 1890 and 1902, which saw philanthropy and civic pride build wonderful libraries in many towns. One of the first mobile library systems was called the Perambulating Library. It's set up in a clique of villages near Carlisle by local philanthropist George Moore. Subscribers paid a penny a month or a shilling a year. The collection was switched out every six weeks by a messenger who wheeled the cases on foot, rotating the box round eight villages. Amazon's Kindle range of e-readers is an amazing invention brought to us initially in 2007. It now brings a whole range of books, magazines and all sorts of material, many of which are free, into any home. It really is a library in the pocket and has the ability to enlarge print, change the brightness of the page, to make the experience as comfortable as possible for the reader. And libraries nowadays have become more than ever great community centres where all sorts of groups can meet. They offer a host of things available to borrow, including music, CDs, DVDs, newspaper reading rooms, reference sections for students and internet facilities. And they're generally a comfortable social as well as a practical place to meet. Well, so libraries then, where would we be without them? I have to say that I've taken mine for granted in the past, but researching this for us has made me appreciate them fully. Any road up, I'm off. Have a nice cup of tea, a custard cream or two, and I'll finish the next chapter in my book. So till next week then, I'll say bye for now. Ta-ra a bit. Ta-ra. Cheers very much for those facts, Roger. Up now, it's time to move over into the sport. Hello, I'm Ian, and here's your latest football news. Wolves winger Chiquinho has been dealt a devastating blow by suffering an anterior cruciate ligament injury to his knee in a pre-season friendly. The 22-year-old scored in Wolves' 3-1 win over Burnley in the behind-closed-doors game at Compton on Saturday. After his goal, the Portuguese forward was running onto a through-ball when he collided with the Burnley defender and suffered the serious ACL injury to his knee. It is believed that the Wolves' coaching staff were disappointed with the challenge that led to the injury, which is believed to have been made by a young Burnley defender. It is understood Chiquinho will undergo surgery next week, and is likely to be sidelined for at least six months. In other news, Nelson Semedo admits he must improve his goal-scoring record and get the most out of his position in the Wolves' side. The 28-year-old only netted once last season and also registered just one assist, despite having a plethora of good chances. Particularly early in the season, most notably in the games against Watford and Southampton, the right wing-back spurned several one-on-one opportunities. 
Now the Portuguese international is focused on improving that aspect of his game once he returns from injury and insists he has full faith in the Wolves staff to help him improve. He said it's something that can change a game. In my first games, I missed three or four clear opportunities. That makes all the difference. It's something I still have to improve and I know, I know the other players will help me with that. I'm not worried about it. I have to work hard to be fit to play first and feel good with my injury. Of course, I will try to be available when they expect and when I expect as well. Albion were beaten by League 2 Stevenage in their second friendly of the summer. An own goal by Dara O'Shea as well as an Elliot List strike saw Steve Evans' side run out 2-0 winners at Broadhall Stadium. The Baggies beat Leighton Orient in a pre-season friendly in Portugal last week and they initially started well against the Borough with Steve Bruce's side failing to take a number of first-half opportunities. After the interval, though, they struggled to find any real spark and the hosts grew in stature and went on to win it with two late goals. Speaking post-match, though, Bruce was not too downbeat after seeing his side create numerous opportunities, particularly in the opening half hour. Grady Diangana, John Swift, Carlin Grant and Diangana again all went close in that time. It just shows you what football is in our country, Bruce said. We had complete control of the game, but we didn't take our chances. We had many opportunities in the final third, but we missed the final pass or cross. But we have said it often enough pre-season, it doesn't really matter. We're two weeks in, got three weeks to go. That's the key to it, trying to get some minutes into them. It'll be the same Wednesday at Northampton. Then we'll start looking at picking a team for Middlesbrough, which is now three weeks away. Are you ready to get moving? Well, let's hope so, because up now... We have the 10 today workout. Hello everyone, this is 10 today, a 10 minute set of exercises to do at home to help keep yourself active. Before we get to today's presenter, a couple of housekeeping points to note. The 10 Today project is funded by the Big Lottery and Sport England, and when you're doing the exercises, it's important that you don't push yourself too far, and by taking part, you agree to 10 Today's terms and conditions. You can read these terms and conditions at tnflink.uk forward slash 10T, and the 10T is the digit 1, the digit 0, and the letter T. And please remember that you agree to take part at your own risk. Today's exercises are brought to you by Diana, and here she is. Hello, everyone, and welcome to 10 Today, Series 2, Session Number 5. These are short, 10-minute physical activity routines which will get you moving and stretching. They're great for your health, including boosting your mood. And very importantly, they're designed to support your everyday movements, your functional fitness, your flexibility, balance and mobility, such as when you have to reach up, turn, bend down and so on. These simple routines will help you with that. Just take them at your own pace. There are plenty of options. If an exercise feels too much, then just take it easy and have a break. All the exercises can be done either standing up or sitting down. So just do whatever feels good for you today. When lifting your arms or knees, only go as far as is comfortable. If you have any problems with your knees or hips, take care not to twist them during the movements. 
It can also help to pull in your tummy when you're bending your back and just breathe normally throughout these activities. We want you all to do these activities safely. You are responsible for monitoring how you're feeling throughout the sessions. If you feel any discomfort or pain, for example, if you feel unwell or dizzy or experience palpitations, then please stop and seek medical advice. If you're remaining seated, it would be ideal if you can use a hard chair, preferably one without arms, such as a dining chair that you can sit upright in, with a straight back and with your feet flat on the floor. If you're standing, just step your feet hip width apart, relax your shoulders and take a good strong stance. And you might want to have a sturdy chair nearby to hold on to sometimes for balance. We hope you enjoy TEND today. So we're just going to start with a warm-up. You're just going to quickly tap or pat different parts of your body. So briefly tap along each arm, one at a time, in different places. Your upper arm, your forearm and your wrist. Do the same on both arms. Then pat the top of both legs, just quickly tapping up and down your legs in various places towards your knees for a few seconds. You should be nicely warmed up now and ready to move. So the first exercise is catch the raise. Raise both arms straight up in the air, pushing up above your head and with your palms facing upwards. Then bring both arms down with your palms down. Now bend forwards and swing both hands together in front of your knees, a bit like a pendulum motion, from left to right and again left to right. Then straighten up and repeat this again. So raise your arms straight up in the air with your palms up. Then lower your arms with the palms down. Bend forwards and swing your hands in front of your knees from left to right and again left to right and straighten up. Keep going for a few more times, reaching a bit higher and sweeping a bit lower if you can. This is really good for your shoulders and arms and your balance too. The next one is look to the hills. So with the usual starting position of your feet hip width apart and shoulders relaxed, turn your upper body to the left. Keep your feet facing forwards. Raise both arms to shoulder height, bending your elbows slightly so your hands are facing each other in front of your chest. Then pull your arms back still at the same height and with the elbows fully bent like butterfly wings. Now rotate your shoulders to move your arms backwards in circular movements. If you're standing you can bend your knees slightly at the same time. If you're sitting you can press down through your feet. Continue rolling your shoulders to move those arms. Then stop and circle your arms in the other direction rolling your shoulders and moving those arms forwards this time. Then stop, turn your upper body to the right and repeat on that side, rolling the shoulders and arms forwards first of all and then backwards a few more times. Try making these circles a bit wider if you can. This is great for your chest and hip rotation as well as your shoulders. Next up it's rise up. Start with a wider stance by moving your feet a bit further apart. Point your toes out slightly and, if you're standing, 
bend your knees. You can also use your arms for balance by putting them out in front of you. Keeping your feet flat on the floor, rise up a little way and lower back down again into that starting position by just bending and straightening your knees. So rise up and then lower back down. Keep going. If you're sitting, lift your bottom slightly off the chair if you can, using your arms for balance. If you can't rise from the chair, then move your feet further forwards. Press down through your feet instead and put your hands on your thighs. Just move within your capabilities. Let's do a few more. Try to go a little bit lower if you can and hold on to the rise. That's great. This is a good one for your core muscles and your balance. Now it's time for rushing water. Step your right foot forward, bending the knee slightly into a lunge position with your trailing leg naturally raised on its toes. At the same time, stretch both arms out directly in front of you at shoulder height if you can, with your hands close together. Then step back, pushing your arms out to each side in a line with your shoulders, like swimming the breaststroke. Now step forward with your left foot, bending the knee and pointing your arms out in front again. Then step back, pulling your arms back and out to each side. And repeat this a few times more, alternating your feet. So step forward, push your arms forward, step back and pull your arms back. Try to keep your arms up at shoulder level. This is another good one for your arms, shoulders, chest and core. The next one is rotating the wheels. Start by pushing both arms straight up in the air above your head. Then sweep both arms clockwise together to make a big circular movement like a wheel turning. Lean forwards as your arms move past your legs and then straighten back up as you sweep your arms up to complete the circle. Repeat this movement a few times, slowly sweeping those arms through the air, going round, down in front of your legs and up to the other side in a big circle. Then stop and change direction to go anti-clockwise this time. So arms high above your head to start and sweep them all the way around in a circle. Do this a few more times, trying to keep your arms straight and make a wide circle if you can. It's really good for your core muscles and your balance. Now it's time for lift the ball. Hold both arms out in front of you at chest height with your elbows bent and your hands positioned as if you're holding a football. Then raise your arms up above your head with your hands in that same position, imagining that you're trying not to drop the ball. Now bring that imaginary ball down towards the ground, bending your knees as you lower your hands down and then straighten up again. Then repeat, starting with that ball out in front of you, stretching it up above your head and then bringing it down towards the floor. Keep going with this for a few more times, reaching a little bit higher and a bit lower if you can. This is a great one for your shoulders, chest and core. That's good. The next one is making certain. So with the usual starting position, feet hip width apart and shoulders relaxed, step your right foot forward bending the knees slightly and punch out your right arm straight in front of you at the same time. 
pull your arm back and step back. Then switch feet. So this time step forward on your left foot as you punch your left arm straight out. Pull your arm and step back. Keep going with this for a few more times, just alternating from left to right. You can make your punch more powerful if you can and lean into the strike. This is a good one for your legs, arms, shoulders and hip movement too. Well done. Now we're going over the sticks. If you're standing, you might want to hold on to a sturdy chair for balance. Start by lifting your right leg, bending your knee up towards your body. Return that foot to the floor and lift the other leg and down again. Just carry on with this, alternating between left and right. You can keep your arms by your sides or use them for balance if you're standing and not holding on to a chair. Try lifting each leg up a little bit higher if you can. That's great. This is good for your legs, buttocks, back and core. Now it's grasp the bird's tail. This has its origins in Tai Chi and we're aiming for a lovely flowing movement with the arms. So just start by leaning forward slightly and bending your knees if you're standing. Sweep your right arm down towards your left leg, then swing that arm back and sweep it right up into the air. Look at your fingers as they flow out. Then do the same with your left arm, swinging it down towards your right knee and then sweeping it up into the air. Keep going, sweeping one arm down towards the opposite leg and then swinging it back and up into the air. Then do the same again with the other arm. Keep those movements nice and flowing and try going a little bit lower and higher if you can. This is a great one for your hip rotation, arms, shoulders and chest. And the last one is Brave the Wind. You're going to do two movements together for this one. Start by holding your arms straight out to either side in line with your shoulders. At the same time, lift your heels off the floor to rise up onto your toes. Then lower your arms back down to your sides as you lower your feet back down to the floor. So raise up onto your toes as your arms go up to each side and then lower your feet as your arms come down. Repeat this a few more times, rising a little bit higher onto your toes if you can. This is good for your legs, core and your balance too. That's all the exercises done. We're just going to finish with a quick shake to cool down. So raise both arms up above your head towards the ceiling and just briefly wave your hands and arms in the air. Then lift one leg slightly from the floor if you can. Shake it out in the air for a second or two. Raise the other leg and shake that one out too. Or you can just shake your upper body instead. So that's the end of the session. Great work everyone. We hope you enjoyed it. Doing 10 today just three times a week can have positive benefits for your physical health and improve your well-being too. It's short, it's fun and you'll simply feel better. So do keep going. Up now, we're to hear what the weather has in store for us. Brought to us as always by Mina. The 
weather for this week ahead continues to be very warm and sunny but cools off slightly as the week progresses. Temperatures will be typically hovering around 26 degrees. UV levels are expected to be high throughout the week. The sunrise and sunset times are 5.09am for the sunrise and 9.19pm for the sunset. For Friday 15th and Saturday 16th of July will be sunny with a light breeze and we'll see a maximum temperature of 28 degrees. Sunday 17th of July will be sunny with a moderate breeze and we will see a maximum temperature of 29 degrees. And on Monday 18th of July all the way through to Thursday 21st of July it's sunny intervals and a gentle breeze with a maximum temperature of 23 degrees. So that's your forecast for this week. As always, enjoy the weather. We now turn our attention to all things Black Country with Black Country Day coming up on the 14th of July. Where is the Black Country? Its history, dialect and how it got its name. Having no officially defined borders, over time the area has been defined by numerous means including the people, dialect, geology, culture and industry. Some traditionalists define it as the area where the coal seam comes to the surface, Britain's thickest and richest seam of coal. Others claim that it is anywhere within a five mile radius of Dudley Castle, or within an hour's weary trudge of Dudley. Today it commonly refers to the majority of the four metropolitan boroughs of Dudley, Sandwell, Warsaw and Wolverhampton. One thing is for sure though, it definitely does not include Birmingham. Why is it called the Black Country? There are several reasons explaining how the area got its name, the most common being from its industrial heritage. It is said that the Black Country got its name in the mid-19th century from the intense coal and iron production in the area. After the Industrial Revolution, it became one of the most industrialised regions in Britain with coal mines, coking, iron foundries, glassworks, brickworks and steel mills producing high levels of smoke and soot. The name is also linked to the South Staffordshire coal seam as it comes to the surface in the area and is said to make the soil black. Many people living in the black country are fiercely proud of where they come from and are keen to retain their local identity and distinguish the area from Birmingham. Although it is often confused with the Birmingham Brummy accent due to the sing-song-like qualities, the black country has its own dialect and vocabulary as opposed to just a different accent. People living in Birmingham often refer to the black country folk as yam-yams because they say yawam or yaum instead of you are. Whereas the term Brummie, used to refer to people from Birmingham, is derived from Brummagem, traditional black country speak for Birmingham. Black Country Day is officially celebrated every July 14th, a date that was chosen to mark the region's industrial heritage as it is the anniversary of the invention of the world's first steam engine, the Newcomen engine, built in 1712 at the Coney Gree Coal Works near Dudley. It is now a major occasion marked by pubs and organisations. And if you want a real knees up, the Black Country Festival is back after a two year break, with concerts at Himley Hall on July 16th and 17th and other events dotted across the region. 
find out more, visit facebook.com forward slash the Black Country Festival. Have you done any good at the quiz this week? Well, now's the time to find out, as we have the quiz answers. Hello, and here are your answers for this week's flashback quiz. Are you ready? Question one. How many public libraries are there currently in the UK? And the answer, 4,100. Question two. How many items does the British Library have? And the answer here is between 170 and 200 million. Question three. What age is the oldest item in the British Library? And the answer, it dates from 2000 BC. Question four. How long is the shelving that hold all the items there? And the answer here is six miles. Question five. What was the date of the Act of Parliament that helped create our libraries? And the answer here, of course, is 1850. And finally, question six. What was the name given to the first mobile library? And the answer here is the Perambulating Library. How did you do? Great, I hope. But if not, there's always another chance to have a go next week. Now, did you get the answer to this week's Guess the Sound question that Rob asked at the start of the show? Here's one more chance to hear it before I tell you the answer. The sound you just heard was a recording of someone flipping through a book. Now, to end this week's edition of the Black Country Talking News, we hear all about the world of VI archery. TNF Soundings. Features from across the UK. Hello, my name's David Edwards Hume. And I've been an archer for 50 years. Archery is woven into our history. Cressy, Poitiers, Agincourt, you don't need to be a historian to know the significance of those medieval battles where the longbow proved to be a decisive and devastating long-range weapon. To this day, archery terms are built into our conversations. Keep it under your hat, someone might say, probably not realising that this referred to the habit of archers in battle, storing a spare string under their hat or helmet to keep it dry. In the same way that archery images and terms have become so familiar and widespread, from advertising to everyday speech, archery as a sport is now practised worldwide and by a surprising range of people and abilities. I'm a sighted archer. And in the late 1980s, my club in Stopwater in Greater Manchester was the venue for the archery section of the National Games for the Blind. So, I was reasonably familiar with VI archery at that time. But my word, VI archery has evolved since then, and I've been surprised and delighted at the progress that's being made. 
and was given a new insight into the struggle by VI archers to improve the rules and conditions of shooting by David Poyner, who was a VI archer in my club and an activist in the pursuit of improvements for VI archery. He's lobbied and broadcast in his mission to help VI archers, leading a delegation to meet representatives of the sport's international governing body, World Archery, during the London Paralympics, this to promote various changes and being ably supported, I should say, by his wife Jane. It resulted in an agreement for World Archery to hold a seminar and competition the following summer under the auspices of Archery GB, the UK's governing body, to exchange information, look at coaching techniques and classifications, and with a competition based on ideas put forward by David and his colleagues. David took up archery in 1999 after his sight became impaired, and his forties way through serious health problems. Always a lover of competitive sport, he wanted a new challenge, and so archery it was. He eventually became the chair of St Dunstan's Archery Club in 2004, and the chair of the British Blind Sport Archery Section two years later, standing down from both positions in 2018. David is a European silver medalist and holds several national records. He's classified as B2, which for David means he has very limited vision in his right eye and no vision at all in his left. The BBS archery section is the driving force behind VI archery. And for this section of the sport, it's no straightforward challenge to accommodate the range of visual impairment from the totally blind to those with sufficient vision to use a normal bow sight. There are different shooting categories based on sight classifications, which range from B1 to B5. It can vary from the use of blackouts to bow sights, or the use of tripods with a contact point for the back of the bow hand. But the rules can change depending on whether a VI archer is shooting at club level nationally or internationally. Of course, any VI archer needs a spotter, usually a club colleague, a friend or a family member. The catch here, of course, is that this is an additional cost for any VI archer shooting internationally, a cost they have to bear themselves. They already have to fund their own international shooting. British Blind Sport helps where it can through its archery section, but despite efforts dating back to 2005, VI archery is still not included in the Paralympics, which is why funding is so hard to come by. VI archers can shoot any rounds recognised by Archery GB using either a recurve or a compound bow. The latter is a bow using cables and wheels as well as the limbs. And there are also rounds designed for VI archers, whereby the target size changes rather than the distance. And typical distances can be 30 metres for outdoor shooting and 18 metres for indoor rounds. Despite the Paralympic setback, VI archery continues to expand internationally. A major turning point came in 1985, when a group of VI archers met with the Grand National Archery Society, now Archery GB, to hammer out rules of shooting for VI competitors. It opened the door for VI archers to shoot at all levels alongside sighted archers. It was after this meeting that the BBS archery section was formed. Since 2015, VI archers have been included in World and European Para Championships. And from this year, any World Archery Para event will include VI archers, providing enough of them enter. 
Carol Davies, who is secretary of the BBS Archery Section, proudly tells me they've sent teams to compete in Germany, France, the Netherlands and Dubai. At the World Championships in 2015 in Germany, a gold medal was achieved. The proud owner of that gold medal is Steve Prowse, who is still current world champion for VI 2 and 3. Silver went to Peter Price, who is also a member of Blind Veterans UK, formerly St Dunstan's. And bronze went to Carmel Bassett, who sadly passed away during the pandemic. Nick Thomas is current world number three for VI 2 and 3. In 2023, the International Blind Sports Federation will hold the IBSA World Games for the Blind here in the UK for the first time. From August 18 to 27, the Games will be taking place in venues across Birmingham and the Midlands, with at least a 1,000 competitors from 70 nations taking part in the world's largest high-level event for athletes who are blind or visually impaired. Carol Davis says it'll be a great platform for promoting VI archery to the world and should heighten the profile of the BBS archery section. Carol rightly points out that archery is an inclusive sport with all ages and abilities able to compete, but they need younger people to take up the sport. Meanwhile, Carol and her archery section colleagues in BBS work tirelessly to promote VI archery in the UK, liaising closely with Archery GB. Most archers are affiliated to ArchGB through their clubs. And that's the strength of British archery. It's a grassroots, club-based sport. And Carol and co are on hand to provide advice on VI shooting for any club that needs it. Carol has been secretary of the BBS archery section since 2015 and an archer with a B2 site classification. Internationally, the South Koreans are the best archers on the planet, especially the women, dominating world archery events, including the Olympics. Archery, though, is an elitist sport in that country. Archers there are professional athletes sponsored by a company or a university and selected during childhood. But even among this exalted group of archers, there emerges the amazing story of Im Dong-hyun, the world's supreme example of what a VI archer can achieve. Registered blind, Dong-hyun broke his own world record at the London Olympics in the ranking rounds and helped his team break the team world record by 18 points, going on to win a team bronze. At previous Olympics, he helped his team to gold medals. It must be emphasised that Dong Hyun was shooting as part of a sighted team. In international rounds, sighted archers shoot at 70 metres, but for Dong Hyun, the target at that distance is just a colourful blur, as he described it. He shoots a recurved bow with a normal bow sight. Dong Hyun, now aged 36, shoots right-handed and has 2200 vision in his left eye and 2100 vision in his right. His achievements are a unique chapter in archery history. Also from the Asian world comes the equally remarkable story of the Zen master archer in Japan, who before the Second World War demonstrated his skill with the bow by shooting two arrows into a target 29 yards away and then showing his American visitor the result. The two arrows were touching each other, which it's not that unusual in this sport, I have to say. This is the thing, though. The arrows have been shot at a target that couldn't be seen because it was night time. I was aged 15 when I first read this story in a book by British archery coach Howard Wiseman, 
called Tackle Archer This Way, featuring my boyhood hero, the British and international archer champion, Roy Matthews. I've related the story many times over the years, and I was never sure whether my listeners believed me. But I believe it, and that Japanese master archer, and decades later in Dong Hyun, a proof that you don't need to see the target, or at least see it fully, to be an amazing shot. If you'd like to enter the wonderful world of the bow and tri-archery, then contact the BBS Archery section and Archery GB. Their web addresses are the three W's, bbsarchery.org.uk and archergb.org. Thank you for listening. TNS Soundings. So that's it for another edition of the Black Country Talking News. A reminder to our CD listeners who have received CDs in padded envelopes that you don't need to send anything back to us. If you have a sight loss tip or someone you would like to wish happy birthday to, just say hello to. Maybe even a poem or talking book you would like reviewed, then please get in touch with us at the Beacon Centre. Call 01902 Email bctn at beaconvision.org or write to us at the Black Country Talking News, Beacon, Wolverhampton Road East, Wolverhampton, WV4 6AZ. We look forward to hearing from you. Thank you for listening and thank you to all our supporters, donators and volunteers who without their support will be unable to run this free service. Please note the information and views expressed in this recording does not necessarily represent the views of Beacon or Talking News and were accurate at the time of recording. Mentions of goods and services does not imply endorsement and whilst every care is taken to supply accurate information, Beacon and Talking News do not undertake liability for any errors. So it's goodbye from all of us, stay safe, have a good week and we look forward to bringing you next week's edition of the Black Country Talking News. Ta-ra!